Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. On this episode, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, is back and he's continuing in our series on the letters to the churches in Revelation. If you want to watch the video of this message or listen to this week's worship, you can do so on our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or you can find all of that and more on our Brookwood app. We pray that this message encourages you in your walk with Christ. Beautiful. I saw some of you on your feet, hands raising. Demetria, you got them going, I think, there a little bit. Ed Smith helped with that heart, didn't he? Thank you. Thank you, Mikey. For those of us that are a little bit older, that's a life song of our faith, isn't it? We have great emotions and memories connected to that song. Today we continue, we, we actually conclude our series, Can You Hear Me? And I hope that you're hearing God better. Anybody hearing God better? You're practicing. <clears throat> Some of us, I think, have been surprised. Several people have said to me, you know, I have been hearing God, but I didn't know it was God trying to speak to me. It takes some effort, doesn't it? So this series subtitle, Letters from God. I don't have that coronavirus, so don't run from me. <laughs> That's right. It's either the worst thing imaginable or it's just like a flu. So you decide, but quit listening to the news. But... <clears throat> The series subtitle is uh, Letters from God, and it refers to messages that Jesus sent through John by means of an angel to the seven churches in Asia Minor, today Turkey, found in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. So we finish today the handouts of letters from God that show you the elements of, of those communications are still available at the bookstore and also at the information desk. And then we have an insert that I will address at the end of this service. But this message today, I've called God's letter to the lukewarm. And you'll see why it's pretty obvious. And it was addressed to the church at Laodicea. If you take out your message guide... The verse that I've chosen today for the theme verse is from 2 Timothy chapter 3. And it is, it says, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. And then what advice does it give us? Stay away from people like that. People who are trying to put on faith, but it's just an external, but they don't have the true godliness of the spirit. Beware being influenced by those people because they'll urge you subtly into compromise yourself. And you may become content with a lukewarm faith. Jesus' warning to this church was that though they knew the good news, they hadn't experienced it personally. 
And consequently, their lives had not been changed. They were wealthy. They were worldly, which led to complacency toward their faith. So as we begin, this is the time when we ask God to show us ourselves. Does this warning apply to us as a church? Does it apply to you as an individual? So we look at the essentials in this message to the church at Laodicea. And in this Bible available here at Brookwood, the passage is on page 992. We begin with the greeting. All of these letters began with the same greeting. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. And y'all know who the angel was. The leader, the pastor, the elder perhaps. But the person who was responsible for leading the church. This church, like most of the other six churches, was likely established as an as a mission or as a ministry of Paul's third missionary journey, Acts 19.10, which was based in Ephesus. Now, we know that Paul didn't actually visit Laodicea, so he didn't plant this church personally. It's more likely that one of his co-workers named Epaphras did because Epaphras also planted a church in nearby Colossae. So he either did it directly or, or by influence. Laodicea was located on a plateau in the Lycus Valley, 100 miles east of Ephesus and 40 miles southeast of Philadelphia. And this town lay to the southeast of all the other six cities. This city was located at a major intersection of the main north-south trade route and the east-west trade route. And because of it, it prospered as a commercial, but also as a banking center. And the citizens became very wealthy. They produced several products. One was soft black wool, which was made into clothes and carpets. The city also had an important medical school. And it was associated with a pagan temple, which interestingly, these, these temples and the worship of gods would sometimes concoct helpful ointments. And they did in this case, they developed an eye salve that was widely exported. In this particular letter, as in the letter to Philadelphia, Jesus did not identify himself by any of the phrases from the vision that's recorded in Revelation 1, verses 12 through 17. He spoke of other identifying descriptions from the scripture and from his character. And so we begin at verse 14. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. 
First, Jesus describes himself as the amen. The only, this is the only place he ever does this, only place in the scripture. And the word amen really is a Hebrew word that's lifted and it's made into a Greek and then an English word. And it actually means truth or affirmation or certainty. And it carried with it the connotation of something that was firm, something that was fixed, something that was unchangeable. He also identified himself as the faithful and true witness, which means everything that Jesus says and everything he speaks of the Father, everything he speaks of life is true. He is honest, he is trustworthy, he is accurate, he is always reliable. Jesus speaks truth to us. But he also speaks directly. Have you noticed that? He speaks directly to us. And some of us are so sensitive that we almost shrink back if anyone speaks truth directly to us. We've gotten so used to softening everything we say. But that's not the way Jesus speaks. Jesus speaks directly so there's no confusion, but he speaks lovingly. But see, you see what I'm saying? We, can, we soften so much, sometimes we can't even communicate truthfully with each other. But we ought to be able and willing for Christ to speak to us. Knowing that everything he says is for our good, which is the definition of love. Love is doing for someone what that person needs. Jesus also said he is the beginning of God's new creation. Now, he's the, also the source of all of creation. But he's the source of the new creation, of being born again. It, it comes from his life. And he's the supreme person in it. Jesus expressed to this church his concern. He offered no affirmation in this particular letter. Instead, he started by stating his concerns. Verse 15. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. Christ rebuked this church. He doesn't say the word lukewarm in this sentence, but he does in the next one. But he rebuked this church for being lukewarm. Now, when Jesus speaks to these churches, he spoke with an understanding of those people and their plight and their setting and their city. So many of the things that he said related to circumstances and situations in the town and in the church in which these people lived. Now, when he speaks of lukewarm, it was likely a reference to Laodicea's water supply. See, this, they had no water right there in the city, so they had to, the water had to be piped underground in an underwater aqueduct for several miles before it reached the city in a tepid or a lukewarm and a dirty condition. Now, there were two other cities nearby in the Lycus Valley that had much better water supplies. 
Heropolis was six miles to the north and they had hot springs. So the people particularly then believed hot springs had real health benefits and they were refreshing and invigorating. Like some of y'all who sit on your back porch in those hot tubs for hours and hours. I think that's where the coronavirus started actually. (laughs) And it may have been Simpsonville. Put some chlorine in that thing. But Colossae, which was 10 miles to the east, had a water supply, not hot springs, but they had this pure, cold, refreshing spring water. So here you had two sister cities with very good water sources, but not in Laodicea. They had this lukewarm, tepid, even dirty water. And lukewarm water is not very appealing. And neither is lukewarm faith. Roland's been all over the world drilling water wells, and a lot of those people are drinking that kind of water, aren't they? Lukewarm, dirty, of questionable health. Well, what are spiritually hot people? Jesus said, be hot or cold. What would you say about someone who's spiritually hot? Say it again. Excited, on fire. I like that. They're passionate. They're energetic. On fire is a good one. They're motivated. They're convicted. They're committed. Spiritually cold people, on the other hand, are people that just don't believe. They've rejected Jesus. They're disinterested in faith completely. Now, when your faith is lukewarm, you don't experience the peace or the hope or the comfort or even the assurance that comes from faith because you can never truly be sure you're saved. So ask the Spirit, because only the Spirit can show you. Are you spiritually hot or are you spiritually cold? Ask the Spirit to show you where the thermostat falls on your life. Jesus stated that his concerns would result in consequences. Verse 16. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Jesus finds spiritual complacency, spiritual indifference, unappealing, unsatisfying, even sickening. But understand who these people were. These lukewarm people, remember, they did not openly reject the gospel. In fact, they likely attended church, perhaps regularly, because this letter is only written to the church. It's not written to the town. These people would have claimed to know the Lord, but they displayed little evidence of truly loving Jesus or his word or his people. Sometimes when people say, well, how can I know I'm saved? I'll ask those things. Do you love Christ? Do you love his word? Do you love his people? I think you'll always see those characteristics in someone who's born again. But those people who 
think they're saved, unfortunately, they're often very protective of their religious status. And so they become unwilling to recognize their real condition, which makes them very difficult to reach. I have had people get angry with me when I preached a message similar to this that challenged our faith. But the scripture says we should examine our faith. You see, examining your faith and confirming you know the Lord only does you good. Examining your faith and discovering you may not will save your life for eternity. And yet sometimes people say, well, you don't believe this. You're saying I'm lost. I can't say anyone's lost. I don't have that control. But I can only help you by asking you to examine. Does that make sense? You know, all, well, not all of us, but some of us go to the doctor. How many of y'all go to the doctor? How many think it's a pleasant experience? I like my doctor. I like him personally. He comes to church here. He might be sitting in this room. But that man performs some indignities on me when I'm there. (laughs) He gets far too close and he looks some places no person should look. (laughs) But he's motivated by concern for me. And if he finds something amiss, he means it for my best. And so why would we be defensive if someone challenges us just the way Jesus challenges this church and these other churches? Verse 17, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. Now, these Laodiceans were wealthy. But here's what happens. When your world goes well, you may not even recognize you need Christ. When your 403B, your 501K, all, whatever the numbers are, 401K, when you've got all that down, when your health is good, when your hair's hanging on, you may not realize the need you have for Christ. I think that one of God's greatest gifts to his children is to bring want into their lives. It might be financial. It might be physical. It could be relational, certainly spiritual. But when God shows you something's lacking, something's missing, and then you get motivated. You know what I'm talking about? But how many of us are like these Laodiceans? I've been working all my life to make sure I didn't need God or anybody or anything. And Jesus says, well, you're all wealthy and you're saying, oh, I'm rich. I don't need a single thing. And he continues at verse 17b. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable. And poor and blind and naked. Now, you don't know that word if you're from Georgia because the word is naked. (laughs) It has two E's. 
they, they lacked a personal relationship with God. And it left them wretched and miserable. If you've been there, you know, and you've spent years going to church, but you knew something vital was missing, it leaves you miserable. It leaves you miserable. Because, see, they had not experienced the, 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 the contentment, the wholeness that comes when the Spirit fills your life. They were poor spiritually because, remember, they possessed these worldly riches. And in this town, you know, all the, all the money people, they had something made out of black wool. And they could strut around with the coat or the hat or whatever. They got the black wool all around them looking good. So they possessed worldly riches and owned nothing eternal. Whatever you have that you can touch will not last. Do you know that? It won't last. But look how much effort you're putting into accumulating it. They were blind because they couldn't discern spiritual truth. You know, you don't logically reason out spiritual truth. You only receive spiritual truth one way. How? The Spirit reveals it to you. And they were naked because they had only their insufficient self-righteousness to cover their sins. And these people, because they were in an enviable worldly position... They thought they owned access to God. I wonder if any of us do. And they possessed faith, they thought, merely because they declared that they did. But folks, salvation always is by grace. It's always a gift. Has worldly comfort made you spiritually complacent? You can answer, but ask, ask God's Spirit to show you the truthfulness there. Jesus then issued a challenge. You know, he, this is when he, he, he told some churches he was going to judge them, he was, which meant destroy them. He was going to take their light. But it, not to this church. Jesus offered this church salvation. And it's interesting that it's expressed by referring to the, the three products that were featured in this city, finances and wool and salve. Verse 18. So I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that's been purified by fire. Then you'll be rich. See, these people needed faith that had been refined through difficulties. So that it was free of impurities. So that it, it represented the priceless riches of salvation. But he's not talking about 
the gold of faith in you because he says, you can only get it from me. Well, how do you buy it? How can you, I thought you, I thought you couldn't do anything for it. No, no, this buying is by saying, I offer myself to you. Will you receive me? So you buy with your life. You buy with yourself. You buy with all that you are. And the salvation that's represented by gold, you see, is refined by fire. But that's talking about the suffering of Jesus refined the faith that he could offer you. See, once we receive it, it's perfect. You have nothing to add. Yes, we become more sanctified, more like Christ. But when you receive this faith that's refined like gold, it's finished. It's complete. You don't have to add anything to it. But it costs you your life. We continue in verse 18. Also buy white garments from me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness. Remember, I told you they could purchase fine black woolen garments. But they didn't do them any good. You can have the finest clothes you can buy anywhere on earth. But they needed the white garments of God's righteousness because that's the only clothing that covers sin. Finally, Christ offered them, continuing in verse 18, ointment for your eyes so that you will be able to see. And again, that represented spiritual sight. See, we don't see spiritual things humanly. We only see spiritual things by the Spirit. You know what I'm talking about? Suddenly you understand. Although it's something You've heard your entire life, and one day you understand it. That's the Spirit of God at work. He continues in verse 19, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look at the contrast here. Jesus has just said, I'm giving you perfect gold. I'm giving you the ability to see. I'm giving you covering for your sin. But when you disobey, I punish. Because you see, salvation is relationship. Yes, it's finished. But being finished and being complete doesn't mean it doesn't have expectations of us. But that expectation is a, an interaction with Christ. It's relationship. And sometimes we get disciplined. Because God wants us to stay in continual, close, obedient, intimate contact with him. And he is more interested in maintaining the relationship than we are. And so he disciplines us to wake us back up, to draw us back so we don't slip into this 
lukewarm tepidness. Have you received refined faith from Jesus? Has he given you a covering for your sins? And can you see spiritually? Jesus said complying, complying with his challenges would result in rewards. And at verse 20, he says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. You know, we, we look at this as an evangelism verse, right? But that's not what it is primarily. This verse refers not to Jesus knocking at the door of an individual's heart, which he does. But in this instance, it's Jesus knocking at the Laodicean church's door. See, they've left his spirit out. And so he's knocking for them to respond, to recognize the spirit's lacking and we've fallen into indifference. To open the door so that Jesus comes back in. It says share a meal, but what that means is, is begin a saving relationship. Draw those in sin back to repentance. Take people from being lukewarm to being warm again and being on fire, as someone said. And living in fellowship, relationship with Christ. This church was wealthy. They thought they needed nothing. But what they needed most and did not have was Jesus' presence saving, filling, leading the church. And then he says at verse 21, those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Jesus was victorious over sin and he was raised and he was seated on a throne. But when we're victorious, which just means we live by faith and pass through death, he honors us. See, we know that our, our practice of faith is imperfect. That's not how Jesus sees us. He sees us as perfect. He sees us as worthy of ruling with him. So if you think God is down on you, you don't understand God. Have you heard Jesus knock? Have you responded to his call? And then Jesus spoke the same closing to this letter as the others. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit to understand and understand what he is saying to the churches. In these letters, everyone, Jesus calls believers, Christians, to hearken, to listen, to understand, to obey. I think one of the conditions of hearing 
is that we've already decided to obey. If your position is that whatever God says to you, you'll consider, why should he speak? But on the other hand, if we say, God, if you'll make it clear, I'll do it. I think we hear. I think we hear. And he speaks to us individually and he speaks to us as a church. But you know what? The way he speaks to the church is by speaking to us individually. And so if our church is to be ready for whatever's ahead, and I hope a revival is ahead, we each have to be able to hear and respond so that he changes us as individuals, which changes our church as a whole. What's he saying? Well, he's calling us to greater faith, to deeper conviction, to reject sin, to refuse false teaching, to persevere through persecution, and to spread his offer of the good news. Are you hearing? Are you heeding that word from the Spirit? You know, if you say, you know what, I'm lukewarm, if not cold. Counselors are here. They'll talk with you. They'll pray with you. They'll anoint you with oil for healing. Counselors, you come on up. And all of you have this letter. And I'm sure you're so curious you already opened it. But we just prepared this as a little gift, a letter from God that lists all the elements that are included in these letters in Revelation. Will you try to do this? Let me see your hands if you'll try this. Now, I, I would encourage you to attempt to do the whole thing in one sitting. Now, if you can't, that's okay. But you need to set aside about an hour. It may only take you half that time. But try to give yourself some time with God. Turn off the news. I can already tell you, the Republicans hate the Democrats and the Democrats hate the Republicans. <laughs> and coronavirus is going to every country in the world. Now, you don't need to watch anything for weeks. So spend some time with God. Practice hearing. Listen to what he has to say and apply it. So, so take some time this week to fill out, fill out your whole letter. And also remember, tonight is a night of worship at 6.30. And you say, you know, I hear about worship, but I don't know, I don't know that I sense anything. Come tonight and let's see. See if you can sense God's Spirit leading us in worship as we join our voices to praise God. Father, we thank you that you know us and that you speak to each of us individually and personally and in, and in ways we can receive and recognize and respond to. So Lord, I pray if we're slow of hearing I just pray that you wouldn't hold that against us, but you'd speak more loudly. God, please communicate with each one of us, Lord. Those that are saved, but maybe have slipped into lukewarmness, I pray that you'd shake us up. Those that don't know you, Lord, but but have a desire to, I pray you would speak today and draw these folks to yourself. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for coming. 
Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. Email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326 to get in contact with our Connections team. You can also find our message archives and many other resources on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.